If you are an avid public radio listener, you're probably familiar with a brainy program that airs every Friday around these parts. That's right, we are talking about Science Friday. For the past three decades, the show has brought science news and education to public radio listeners all over the country, making science more accessible for everyone. And our guest today knows a thing or two about that. We're joined by journalist and host of Science Friday, Ira Flato. Ira, welcome to Reset. Hey, thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Great to have you on the program. We are chatting with Ira ahead of an upcoming stop in Chicago for a special Science Friday Live event. And we'll talk more on that later. Ira, I want to start by getting to know you just a little bit more, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I know that there are folks tuning in right now who've been listening to you and Sci-Fi for years. I believe you'll be coming up on your 33rd year in November. Is that right? Yeah. We're, yeah, we're entering our 33rd year wow. uh, next week, actually. So wow, that that's be a lot of fun. That's pretty incredible. Well, well, take us back to before Science Friday. I mean, what were you doing leading up to that time? Well, I actually started as a science reporter at the NPR back in the 1970s. I actually started working year one of NPR, 1971, when they went on the air wow. the first time. Yeah. And so I, I, was, uh, I was NPR's first science reporter in the mid-70s. And then I uh, did that for about 17 years. Oh my God. Do you remember, do you remember your first story? <laughs> what did they have you I, cover? I, I do. I, the most famous story I did as a science reporter there was uh, why do wintergreen lifesavers spark in the dark? And, you know, if you go into the bathroom and you take a wintergreen lifesaver and you chew on it and uh -huh. look in the mirror, you'll see a little spark. Really? And so that was so popular. We got more mail on that for the next 10 years than anything else that wow. was covered. I'll so. have to go look it up for sure <laughs> and get all the details. But I understand, I mean, this is a lifelong interest in science, right? Like you've been interested in yes. this topic since you were a kid. Where did it come from originally? I don't know. I was always I was one of these kids who um, was in the basement doing experiments. You know, uh, I, I remember I had a, a an eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Pfeffer, like central casting name, who had a science club after school. And we used to do science experiments. And I, I brought one of them home with me one day and tried to recreate it at home mm -hmm. and almost uh, burned down my mother's bathroom trying to recreate <laughs> So oh, no. I, I don't know where it comes. It's just a bunch of it's just curiosity, you know. Yeah, people are really curious about how the world works. Yeah, were, were your peers like that too at that time? Did did were they interested yeah. in science? No. <laughs> but, you know, the dirty little secret about science is that everybody is really interested in science. If you just don't say, are you interested in science? If you ask them about how things work, sure, I want to know how that works. That's true. I want to know. Yeah, I want to know where we all came from, where we're headed, what the universe is made out of, what what's goes on inside my body. Yeah. We're all interested in that stuff. That's and as true. little. And as little kids, we're sort of born as natural scientists. We go crawling around even before we can walk, and we start doing little experiments with the world around us, you know, trying to fit stuff in, and mm -hmm. does that work, and how does the testing out gravity, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know? So well, we're, now, we're all interested early on. Yeah, that that is so true. And, and now I, th I think about the fact that you're sharing all these educational stories about science and technology you're doing it on this grand scale to thousands of people every single week. I mean, when you were younger, I mean, how were you sharing science with folks around you then? Well, I, you know, I'm always, uh, I always love science trivia, which means learning about little bits of things of how the world works, like 
how long does it take the sunlight to reach the earth or how old is the earth? Where do rocks come from? And uh, I would try to, I would talk about it with my friends or find friends who were uh, equally interested. I would do science fair projects and team up with friends of mine. And and you find out when you talk to people and even your friends, um, they may think you're a little geeky or nerdy, but mm-hmm. they're kind of jealous that you, <laughs> you're interested in this stuff and they're not because it's all this great little bunch of trivia that you learn. Yeah, I loved, loved doing science fair projects back in the day for sure. Um, I want to fast forward, though, to the start of Science Friday. I'm curious about the origin story. Well, well, I had an idea back in, uh, let's say, 1989. I saw that there were all these talk shows going on around the, in commercial radio. And being a science person, I wanted to do a science talk show. And I had just left NPR at that point at that time to go out and do television. I was doing a show called Newton's Apple on PBS. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get back into radio. And I said, what would be interesting in radio? Let's do a talk show. And so I came to NPR and they said, that's a good idea, but what do we do with the rest of the week? I'm going to give you one day of the week. What do we do with the rest of the week? And I said, I'll figure that out. And actually, actually, the Gulf War came to my rescue because during the Gulf War in 1990, uh, NPR created this talk show called Talk of the Nation. And that, the, we got to be the fifth day of that Talk of the Nation Science Friday. And we got our talk show on the air. And when NPR discontinued Talk of the Nation, we we were still around, so we went somewhere else. And Science Friday is still alive and kicking in its 33rd year. That is wonderful. I mean, was the program something that you felt had the support at the beginning, or did you feel like you had to to fight for it? I know they were sort of curious about the one-day-a-week scenario. Yeah. I don't think I could do that again now if we had to do it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but people, there was a huge audience. I mean, we had, we had, we now have almost, we're three, three stations short of 500. So wow. there, we have almost, yeah, we have almost 500 stations listening. We don't have to talk them into taking us, right? Mm-hmm. They just like to know how the world works and people are just naturally curious about it. And from day one, we've had a huge audience. So well, it just shows to go yet that the dirty little secret is that people do love science. <laughs> and you've done so many things throughout the years, Ira. I'm sure a lot of folks remember your appearances in the Big Bang Theory. Let's listen for a refresher. This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. My guest today is responsible for the discovery of the first stable super heavy element. Welcome, Dr. Sheldon Cooper. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the university made me come here. I didn't want to. <laughs> big fan of the show. As I said, uh, you've hosted other programs. You mentioned uh, PBS's Newton's Apple. You also did Big Ideas. You've written a number of books like Present at the Future, and they all laughed. When you look back, I mean, what are some of your favorite memories? Well, I remember, I I guess some of my favorite memories, I I got to go to Antarctica and the South Pole. I mean, uh, yeah, that was just an amazing trip. It changed my life. You know, you, it's such a gorgeous and beautiful place, the South Pole and Antarctica, but nature is unforgiving. And if you make a mistake about not being dressed properly and getting out in the cold and not being prepared, it doesn't care about you. You'll just perish and it'll go on to the next person. So <laughs> so I learned all about that, about that in nature, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it, it's because I'm so interested in how the earth 
formed in the history of, of the Earth. When I when I discovered that there was coal in Antarctica, I mean, how does coal get, you know, there had to be plants there yeah. for coal to happen. Well, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago, Antarctica was not at the bottom there, it was up near the equator where there was tropical, there was tropical forest hanging out there. <laughs> so, for sure. <laughs> I mean... But it's life-changing. It is. It, it sounds like it. Do you ever think you'll be tired of being the sci-fi guy? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm... Because if you said you were, I, I would have suggested that you change your Instagram handle. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, 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 I don't think I'll ever be tired of being a lifelong learner. And I think that's what our audience is. I think the people who listen to Science Friday, they may be my age. They may not be. We have everybody from kids to senior citizens like I am. But they, the one thing they are never tired of is learning about new things. And if you grow tired of that, which I hope I never do, I think it's time to hang it up, which I don't expect to do. So, so we got to talk about this event, Ira. It's called Don't Be a Stranger. Uh, so talk me through the idea of having this conversation about social connection and well-being specifically in our in our golden years why'd you focus yeah. on that part of behavioral science uh, because we like when we when we go to cities and when we like chicago and we'll be in the studebaker theater at five o'clock on sunday but i'm saying this because we're going to have an experiment with the audience there a survey with the audience there and when we go to cities we visit them we find we try to find the experts of those cities who we can talk to so we have two University of Chicago professors who are going to talk about the the, um, the connection uh, between things that are missing in your lives or the social well-being of your life and your health. Mm -hmm. For example, how often do you see friends and family? Uh, do you have close bonds with people? Can you open up to them? And all these social interactions affect your health. Yeah, you know. And even even one scientist is is going to tell us that. Even if you're multilingual, if you speak more than one language, there's research to, to show it can ward off dementia for like four to six years. Really? So there's this, yeah, there's this brain, body, mind, health connection that we're going to talk about with, the, with these experts. And when our audience gets there, we're going to give them cards to fill out the survey, part of the survey of the audience and see what their brain, body connection is. Uh, with our experts. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, you'll have uh, UChicago professor Linda Waite. You'll also have uh, another interesting topic that you're covering, uh, which is the, the multilingual uh, aspect right. that you, you just mentioned. And uh, Viarika Marian is leading that conversation with you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's, that, that is correct. And um, we normally, you know, are, we are discovering how much of your mind affects your body. We, 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 we know that you have other living things in you, you have a microbiome of all this bacteria and these viruses. Well, your mind, your, your, your brain actually dips into that area. So how you feel, how you, you know, what's missing in your life, it really does connect to how the, the physical part of your life is, is, is reacting to your health. For sure. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you get to see that a little bit, but there's a lot of good evidence to support that. Yeah, I love the the, the fact that you're focusing on your your well being. It's it's something we talk about 
quite a bit here on Reset. We, we've had a lot of conversations, especially recently, about health and social connection. Uh, I want to play something for you. This is a, a part of an interview that we had with Eve Escalante. She's a clinical social worker, and she's the manager of program innovation with social work and community health at Rush University Medical Center here in the city. And uh, she was talking about the country's loneliness epidemic at the time. One of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is that the ways in which people, older older adults especially, connected organically with people was broken down. Um, You know, and as the world created new ways for us to connect with others, right? So all of, everything went virtual, for example. We didn't really think about how that impacted older adults. Did we give them the same technology? Did we give them the same accessibility to be able to connect with their neighbors, for example, in the same way? Yeah, I think that's so interesting, Ira. And I mean, going back to what you were just discussing, I mean, talk more about, you know, some tips and advice that you think, uh, you know, folks in their golden years, as this event is focused on, will will get when it comes to their health and maintaining it. You know, we, yeah, and we had uh, the the U.S. Surgeon General, Vice Admiral Vivek Murthy on, had him on a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he was on during COVID, talking about COVID, we asked him what would be the next thing you would like to speak and focus on, and he said social health. We talked about depression and now loneliness. And I loneliness is really very, you know, a great topic of discussion. And we know this is uh, the the information, the, the data shows that being socially isolated, especially as you get older, is a very, is not a good thing, you know? Uh, yeah. Because it really will affect your health. You see, the, you see minor ways that people try to, to to take care of this. They even have animals, right? You have a dog or a social dog to uh, keep your com- uh, companion. People come to visit you. Isolation is a really bad thing for uh, pe- people my age and senior citizens. So. Yeah, and it's something that unfortunately we it was inevitable over the last few years for for a lot of us for sure with the with the isolation yeah. there. Uh, so going back to your childhood, which is where we, we started this conversation, what is something that you would say you learned about science when you were right. a kid that you say, this is going to continue to stick with me today and beyond? I learned that um, an important part of keeping your interest in science is having some adult who sort of shepherds you through adolescence. Now, as I said before, um, when you're a kid, when you're very young, you're a natural scientist. But then as you grow up and as becoming a teenager, your adolescence sort of pokes into that because there are other things that get your interest. So how do you how do we keep pe- kids interested in science? And if you talk to scientists or people who are interested, they all had a mentor. I had my teacher, my eighth grade teacher. They all had a mentor or someone who would take you under their wing and make sure that they can help you stay focused on being interested in science. And I think that's something I've always learned and I've always seen it happen in real life. Um, Yeah. What a great life lesson. Yeah. We'll leave it there. We'll uh, tell folks before you go, though, Sunday, October 29th is the big day. That's Science Friday Live in Chicago. It's called Don't Be a Stranger. It's from 6 to 730 at the Studebaker Theater. Yeah. Don't be a stranger to us. Come on out to the show. (laughs) That's Ira Flato, journalist and host of Science Friday. You can catch Ira and a little bit of me at the Studebaker Theater on Sunday. Thanks, Ira. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.